0: Well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, what a... Merry Christmas. If I ever wondered, who are the people who, you know, actually like me a little bit? You guys are the ones that aren't sick of, of us, that you come two days in a row to see us. And so uh, I'm thankful that at least we know that uh, you guys are in our corner. No, thank you uh, for joining us. We love uh, to worship God together as his people. It's such a, a blessing and an honor to gather last night as we... Uh, join as a large church to worship God, and then to continue that as we gather on Sunday morning, as we always do, uh, to open up His Word and to encounter the Savior, uh, and especially on this Christmas morning. We'll be looking just briefly at uh, John 1:14 uh, through 17, and then uh, sprinkling in some other passages as we go uh, this morning, uh, but let us read the Word of God, the book of John, chapter 1, verses 14 to 17. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that as we gather uh, this morning, that we have this opportunity as your people uh, to move our minds away from the hustle and bustle of family obligations, of presents, of all of the things that our society has us do uh, on days like Christmas. Lord, and instead to gather as your people for a moment to fix our eyes on Christ, the ultimate gift, the fullest expression that we could have of you. And so as your people, as we gather this morning, Lord, we ask that all of those other things would fade away and that Christ would be seen as central to our lives and central to this day as we gather as your people. We ask that you would do this through the power of your spirit to move our hearts and minds, Lord, that we might see you clearly this morning. Amen. The grace of Christmas, God dwelling with his people. What do we remember as we gather on a Christmas morning like this? What should we remember when Jesus comes from heaven to earth? Ultimately, as we talked about a few weeks ago, that God remembers his promises. God had promised many things. He promised a blessing to the world, if you go all the way back to Genesis, with Abraham, An heir to the throne, which he promised to David. Further, you can go to the other prophets like Isaiah, where he promises a Messiah for his people. But to the people when Christ was born so many years ago, these promises seem far. Why? Well, Rome currently at that day is occupying. Before Rome, there was other nations like Babylon. The people of God had been under the occupation of foreign rulers for many, many years. Hundreds of years, Israel, who was promised this great nation, this land, the things that God had uh, promised Abraham to give to them uh, as God's people, had lived not under the rule of God, but had been subjected to foreign rule. They truly didn't own the land. They didn't have the ultimate form of freedom. But perhaps more significantly, what is happening around that time? There's been no word of God nearly 400 years God has not spoken to his people when Christ is born. Think about how hard it is to have a relationship with somebody that you don't talk to. We're often reminded of this at Christmas time, right? You might see family that you don't see often. Uh, My sister uh, is in town. She's a Canadian. She betrayed us and moved to Canada, left us. Uh, David's happy in the back. Uh, See, but you betrayed your family and came to us, so we'll take that. Uh, Uh, No, uh, my brother-in-law is a a wonderful man. Uh, His wonderful family live up in in Vancouver, but uh, we don't see them often. And because of uh, restrictions about entry into the United States, in fact, I had not seen my brother-in-law for three years uh, until this day, uh, or until a couple days ago when they got into town. He had never even met my son, Finn. And when we think about how distant relations, relationships can get in our own lives, even our own families, when we see them in the holidays and we're like, wow, it's been a whole year, your kids are so big, or your grandkids seem giant because you haven't seen them very often, we should remember that it's, it's pretty easy to uh, lose a relationship when you don't talk to somebody. And yet, what is happening when Christ is born? God has not spoken to his people for 400 years. The damage that happens to relationships when we go months without talking to somebody is perhaps highlighted when these people have not heard from God for so long. Now, they weren't left without anything. They still had God's word that was recorded through the law and the prophets who had already come. But what, we, what I mean by this is that the people of God had not had a prophet come and speak to them for 400 years, nobody to come to the people of God and say, thus says the Lord for this generation. The result of this was a group of people who attempted to follow God but struggled to live out uh, his commands. You go and read the book of Maccabees, which some of you may have heard of and many of you probably have not. uh, It's not scripture. It's a book that's written uh, a recording of Jewish history in this time of God's silence. Uh, There's a a story in there uh, towards the end of it When the people uh, realize that they've allowed false worship to happen in the temple yet again, right? This is Israel's history. Every hundred years or so, they stop worshiping God and they set up altars to worship false gods. If you read the Old Testament, well, the same thing is happening in this intertestimonial period. Uh, And so the book of Maccabees records this, this event when the people tear down this altar because they realize that it's profaning the name of the Lord. Uh, and so they actually have been worshiping false gods on the altar that was supposed to be there to worship God, and so they tear down all the stones of this altar because it's been defiled, uh, but they don't know what to do with it because this was the altar of God, and so Maccabees tells us, and uh, this is First Maccabees 4 if you care about it at all, uh, that they take all these stones from the altar that had been set up to God, and they store them in a convenient place until a prophet would come and tell them what to do. This is the state of the people of God before Christ was born. It's a state of confusion because of the silence of God. And so they ask themselves, has God forgotten them? Had they turned from God one too many times that he would no longer rescue them from captivity? Would they enjoy the promises of God to his people? Or had those promises been voided by their repetitious disobedience? When Christ is born, These are the questions running to the minds of the Jewish people. And if we are honest this morning as we gather together, we often ask ourselves these same questions time and time again. We know how often sin creeps into our lives, how often we turn from following God and instead find ourselves under the influence of the powers of this world. A life of rejoicing in Christ seems far away because we know just how desperate we truly are are Christmas brings this out it's the most depressing time of the year statistically what should be a time full of rejoicing is actually a time of desperation for many and so how the best of us still struggle with skin and so even the best of us in this holiday season when we remember Christ realize that we still struggle with sin in our hearts our minds and our actions as we open presents and we meet together with family, we come to the realization that so often we are driven from fellowship with God and instead driven into the clutches of sin and shame, suffering in quiet isolation rather than rejoicing in the mercy and love of Jesus. We don't go to his word, we begin to feel distant. And we ask ourselves, has God forgotten us? Have I blown it too many times? Is the fact that my hope has been placed in institutions or gifts or material things rather uh, than in Christ, is God really going to forgive me for this? I've done it yet again. Can we really still be children of the promise? We ask ourselves that. But the birth of Christ, as we gather as his people this morning, is a testament that God does not forget his promises. For God is faithful even when his people are faithless. Christmas is a powerful reminder that God not only did not forget his people, he came to live among them that he might save them. John 1.14, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son of God, full of grace and truth. And so this morning, Three things I'm going to draw us our attention to really quickly. This will be the shortest sermon you've ever heard uh, uh, this morning. Uh, but three things that, that should cause us to, to find hope in the incarnation, in the birth of Christ. The first is this. The birth of Christ should cause us to rejoice. Christmas is a reminder, indeed a command, that we should rejoice. Think about the scene of the angels in the, in the fields if you turn to Luke 2. I'll read it for us. I read it to my kids this morning. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Think about this from the shepherd's perspective. God has been silent for 400 years. No word of God revealed to these people, no prophet no, thus says the Lord, just captivity under foreign rulers and them trying their best to follow the law and the prophets. And then, boom, the sky is filled with angels bringing a word of the Lord. These lowly shepherds sit there and say, God is no longer going to be silent. He's come to dwell with his people. They would no longer be waiting to hear God's word through the prophets from this point forward. And instead, God would speak through his son, as, as if you hear from God directly. This is what Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 talks about. God was silent, but now is going to speak more than ever. And the people of God will rejoice at the word of God. What is this? Well, I believe it's scripture for us. And this is why scripture refers to God's word in many ways that should cause us to rejoice such as a lamp to my feet in Psalm 119 or the word of God is that which gives life Psalm 119 15 the word of God is perfect Psalm 19:7 sweeter than honey Psalm 19:10 the word of God breathed out by God scripture 2 Timothy 3:16 this should cause us to rejoice when we encounter the word Of God. We no longer have to worry. Is God silent? Does he speak? No, we have his word and he speaks to us daily. When we encounter scripture, we encounter God. We should go to God and rejoice that he has given us his word that we might see his son and be filled with joy. The second thing Christmas reminds us of is that through Christ we can have a relationship with God. Christ did not save at a distance. God could have saved from heaven. He could do whatever he wants. But God chose to come and live amongst his creation in order to be the perfect sacrifice for their sins. God is not a far-off God, but a present God. And in living with his creation, we see that God's design was for his creation to live in fellowship with him. If you go to the very beginning of the Bible, and you look at the first few chapters of Genesis, what do we see? Adam and Eve walking in the garden in fellowship with God, a relationship with God, talking to God. Christmas invites us and reminds us that God is here to have a relationship with us. He's not a far off God, a God we only go to when we need something or or have troubles, but he is a God who wants to walk with us in the drudgery of life. A God who is not far off, but a God who is near. And it also invites us in this same line of thought, not to just know God as in some abstract idea or some facts about him, but to have that personal relationship with him. Just like you know your family members, you are invited to know God, to see who he is, to know what he is like, and to rejoice in the fellowship that you have with him. Knowing we couldn't ascend to heaven, Christmas tells us that God has descended to us that we might experience salvation and live in relationship with him as a redeemed people. And so while we see our faithlessness, Christmas causes us then to be confronted with God's faithfulness. He comes not just to speak, but he's come to his creation that they might have salvation. You can't truly enjoy God. You can't know God. You can't have a relationship with God if you're separated from him. His birth This is Christ, of course, reminds us that God's desire is for his creation to have a restored relationship with him. That is why his creation uh, is called to come and see him as king, as Lord, and that he calls us to be with him just as Adam was with him in the garden. And so the final thing I think Christmas reminds us of is that we can have confidence in our salvation. Go back to all those questions at the beginning. When we evaluate our lives, when we see all the ways that we've fallen short, when we look back to that wonderful blessed day when Christ was born, we see the world as it is, silent, far from God. And yet God descends and comes to be with his people. Hebrews 4 tells it this way. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast to our confession. For we not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Because Jesus was born, because Jesus came and lived as a man with a perfect sinful life, because Jesus ultimately died, we can have confidence that when we trust in him, we are saved. That his promises to us are not void. God is faithful even when his people are faithless. He sends his son into the world, not when the world has done all the things to prepare itself for him, but when God has orchestrated things to prepare the world for his uh, son to walk, to live, to die. God is fully sufficient outside of man. Jesus did not come, did, did not need to come to his creation. God does not need us. So often we think of God as a needy God. You know, God just really wants me. Uh, God does want you, but God does not need you. Uh, he is perfectly happy in the, commun- in, the, in the relationship that he has with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. Right? He does not need relationship outside of that. He doesn't need us to complete him like some Hallmark movie or something. God is perfect, apart from mankind, fully sufficient. He doesn't need our praise. He doesn't need our allegiance. But Christmas tells us that he wanted to come and save man because he's a good and gracious God. He's a God who wants to save his creation and for his creation to enjoy him, to be with him, and to worship him. And so when we tremble at the reality of all of our shortcomings when you inevitably blow it around your in-laws in about two hours, uh, we should have confidence, not that we have done enough, that our work is sufficient, but that the work of God is sufficient, that God sent his son who descended into his creation, who endured on behalf of his creation yet was without sin, who died as the perfect sacrifice for his creation and has now ascended to sit in heaven on the throne and be the one who goes before God on our behalf. We have confidence in God. Why? Because the reality of Christmas is this. While we were still sinners, Christ was born. While the world was in rebellion, Christ was born. So if we wonder if we've blown it too many times, the birth of Christ reminds us that God came while his people were in rebellion against him, rejecting his ways, rejecting his word, and ultimately would show themselves to reject his son, But in the midst of this rejection, he sent that son to save the world. And so it means as his people this morning, we should rejoice. We should seek fellowship with God, an intimate relationship with him. And we should have confidence because God came to save sinners like us. And like the angels in the field, we can shout glory to God in the highest as his people this morning. For he is a faithful and merciful God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you did not need to descend to the earth. Lord, you don't need us. You don't need our worship. You don't need our labors. You don't need anything from us. But because you are a good, gracious, merciful God, a God who is faithful to your promises, Lord, you sent your Son to this earth to dwell in this earth that he might redeem your creation, might indeed redeem us as your people to himself. And so, Lord, we confess our inadequacies. We confess the ways that we fall short. We confess, Lord, that we are not able, apart from you, to follow you as you command. And yet we rejoice that even though we uh, are rebellious people, stiff-necked, just like the Israelites, that your grace is sufficient. And we have confidence to draw near to you, Lord, to have a relationship with you, to walk with you, to know you, and to rejoice and praise your name. Father, help us to do this. Help us to see Christ as king and not let our hope lie on joy in material things, joy in families, but Lord, to have joy in Christ this morning. Help us to do that as your people. In the name of Christ and in the power of your spirit, amen.